0: good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host Marcus Grodi on this weekly live scripture study program. Each week I invite someone to join me to talk about verses that uh, were important in drawing them into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. And uh, on today's program our guest is Father Leonard Klein. I'll talk about him in just a moment. And he's chosen actually a long list of verses from First Corinthians that we'd look at, mainly because he, he wanted really to talk about the impact of, of the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, we'll look at that in a moment. Um, here we are in the week after Easter Sunday, and I, it's my prayer that you had a very deep um, uh, spiritual uh, encouragement, I almost said awakening, hope that happened and Easter. But Easter is, of course, not over. This is the week in in many ways in which we continue that long celebration, but particularly uh, it's a time for a continued reflection on what difference the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus has made in our life. All of Lent, we're preparing our hearts and lives, examining ourselves uh, to see um, the receptivity that we have towards what sometimes we take for granted if we're lifelong Christians, uh, sometimes the newer Christians have a deeper appreciation for what the death and resurrection means for us than the lifelongers because well, we've heard it all our life. But now in this week after, it's a time not to um, take the event and put it up on a shelf, but to reflect on it square on. All right, Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Now, what difference does that mean in our life in our world, in our family, in our marriages, in our work, as we look eternally in our life, um, what difference does our Lord Jesus make? And on this program, what what's often reflected is most of the guests that I have are converts to the Catholic Church, so they're often reflecting not only on what that resurrection means for our lives, but but the the importance of that Christ did not just leave us abandoned, but left us a church uh, through which we experience the fullness of his teaching, but also the fullness of grace through the sacraments uh, and the fullness of truth. We're not just left on our own to, uh, to, to open the word of God, the inspired Bible, uh, which of course we've received through the church, through the, the leadership of the church, helped helped us make sure that this collection of book books that we see as one book, the Bible, was in fact inspired and is accurate and authoritative for our life. But Jesus did not merely leave us with a book that each of us on our own are to try and interpret and understand it and live it out, but that he gave us a church through which, guided by the Holy Spirit, we could know how this wonderful book is to be interpreted and applied in our lives. And so that's a bit of what we do here on Deep in Scripture. If you'd like to contact us, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 800-664-5110. You can call the Coming Home Network phone number anytime, 740-450-1175. Send me an email at marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at com. We have a website, deepinscripture.com where you can find archives to all the old uh, episodes of Deep in Scripture. You can also, if you go to it today, see uh, Father uh, Leonard Klein, his photo, and his bio. Let me read that for those of you that can't get to the website. Father Klein attended Yale College and Divinity School. He studied for a year at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis before ordination into Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Ministry. Uh, He was a strong critic of the merger that formed the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America in 1988, and he continued that critique as editor of the Lutheran Forum magazine from 1993 to 1996. Father Klein, his wife, and two of their three children entered the Catholic Church in July 2003. He was then ordained deacon and then eventually priest on April 1, 2006. Father Klein is currently a part-time associate pastor at Immaculate Heart of Mary, Church in North Wilmington, Delaware. He's a part-time hospital chaplain, chaplain to the Society of St. Thomas More, a member of the Board of St. Francis Hospital, and on March 22nd, he assumed the post of Director of Pro-Life Activities for the Diocese of Wilmington. In addition to their three children, Father Klein and his wife Chris, Krista have five grandchildren, the eldest of whom celebrates her first communion later this month. So it's It's great to have Father Klein join us today. As I mentioned, he chose a number of verses from 1 Corinthians. They're all posted on the website, deepinscripture.com, which if you go to, you can also watch this program live because we're broadcasting uh, live streaming on the internet. But let me read uh, one section which will maybe set the stage for our discussion of the rest of that letter of St. Paul. I'll read from chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, and then we'll take a break and Father Klein will join us. Your boasting is not appropriate. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens all the dough? Clear out the old yeast, so that you may become a fresh batch of dough, inasmuch as you are unleavened. For our Paschal Lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody, and you're hearing me on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget
1: to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grody on EWTN. Each week Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time.
2: If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gerdy's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow Him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grudite's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110.
0: Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and I'm joined today by Father Leonard Klein, calling us from Wilmington, Delaware. Hello, Father Klein. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the program. I was trying to remember, Father Klein, uh, how long ago it was when you joined me on the Journey Home program.
1: It was in January, I believe, of 2008.
0: Okay. All right. So we're we're just about two years ago when you were on the program. Well, welcome back. It, it's great Good to, to be have back. you here. I did want to mention that because in case any of the listening audience would like to hear your uh, your uh, your discussion when you were on The Journey Home it's available at EWTN.com the audio for that program is available for download for free just do a you know a, a search on EWTN for Father Leonard Klein and you'll find that program so thank you for joining us again uh, I'm glad um, Father you were able to take some time because you just got uh, through with a very busy couple weeks right?
1: Uh, yes yeah. it was certainly <laughs> busy <laughs>
0: and uh in fact i've noticed that since you've come into the church you haven't missed a beat you're very involved uh in service um and i'm wondering which which of your many duties is probably your most challenging
1: that's a very good question i I think certainly the always the most rewarding is of course parish work Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh the challenge now is, is moving into my role as director of uh, pro life activities for the diocese and just getting the size of that job. Yeah, and, uh, and working with what we've got and trying to develop uh, what we've been doing.
0: Are, are you you think you're landing into that position uh, at, at the at the head of a of a large, strong pro life contingent, or do you see yourself as uh, with a real lot of work that needs to be done?
1: I think we've got pretty good activity in the area, and, uh, uh, but I, I believe that accessing the, the people and, and sort of coordinating some of the energy is probably the, going to be the biggest challenge. Yeah, okay. Well, there are a lot of people doing a lot of things, and, and uh, if we can get more of them on the same page, uh, that, that I would consider a real victory.
0: Well, it always seems to me, especially in pro life work, uh, it reminds me of the, the book C.S. Lewis wrote about screw tape letters. Um, you get this idea that when, whenever somebody uh, truly wants to jump into the battle, uh, you're going to awaken the spiritual battle. Uh, to fight against you, and I think in the pro-life world, you know, there's just a lot of voices that you're fighting against. Oh, sure, sure. yeah, yeah. So and you they're know.
1: very loud right now.
0: No, that's that's the truth. Thank you for for taking that on. That's just a, a great work you're doing. Now, usually on this program, uh, Father Klein, my guest, gives me a verse or two, and I think what well, you gave me about forty. So. <laughs>
1: It, it might have been that many, yeah. Uh.
0: <laughs> so maybe the first question to start out, uh, you know, why why this particular collection of verses in uh, their importance to you? Yeah,
1: um, it's because the whole book of First Corinthians has, over the last several years, become important to me in a, in a new way. Um, I um, I remember a seminary course on First Corinthians. It was it was a tight course, Greek exegesis of, <laughs> of First Corinthians. And I remember at a number of points the professor, who sadly I can no longer remember uh, to name, uh, said how much uh, that we really should have been doing Romans. He was kind of sorry we'd done First Corinthians, and, and I think that was because in part he he was not able, and and perhaps the class was not able in that context to to extract what I think is the, the kind of core witness and message of of first corinthians which again grew on me over a period of many years certainly when i was still a lutheran pastor but then really hit me as i started to hear readings from first corinthians and daily mass at Hmm. some point uh, not long after becoming a catholic and what i heard was the sacramentality Uh. popping out all over the place not just in the obvious references to baptism and the eucharist though they're there and they're very important they're not coincidental. It's not, he says, oops, i got to say something about baptism now or something about communion now. These, these flow out of the, of the overall argument, but what I, what I began to see is really the whole letter from end to end is, is about the, the incarnational nature of the Christian faith, what we do in the body matters, how we treat the unity of the body of the Church matters, the body of Christ in the Eucharist matters. Our baptismal identity and the morality that flows from it matters. And, and so, of course, we end with a glorious PN in 1 Corinthians 15, a good thing to think of, and this week, to the resurrection. So what I came to see with just renewed clarity as a Catholic was how 1 Corinthians is an argument about you know, the life of the incarnate Son of God as it continues in the church and in its sacramental life and its moral emphases, and then comes, obviously, to full flower in the resurrection.
0: You know, I'm wondering, Father Klein, if if you had the same experience that I had. Um, I, too, was a Protestant minister, uh, though in my conversions to the church I've not become a priest, uh, remained a layman. But But one of the major distinctions that I've discovered over my period of this this transition, this journey in understanding scripture is that when I was an evangelical and I was a Presbyterian pastor, though I was brought up Lutheran, I kind of looked at a book like 1 Corinthians as this is the primary information, all the data, not only that we know, but all that is necessary for us to understand what was going on at Corinth. Mm-hmm. And what I came to discover, especially after looking at the early church fathers and looking at the the scriptures kind of from a different angle, is to recognize that actually what Paul was doing is he was basing 1 Corinthians, what he wrote in this letter, on a whole bunch of other stuff that was being presumed at Corinth Mm
3: -hmm.
0: about the church and about the the sacramentality and, and what it meant to be a member of the church. None of which he addresses maybe directly in the letter itself, but he was building on what they already knew. Mm-hmm. Is that what your own experience? Yeah, was?
1: it emerges all over, particularly in that uh, phrase that he uses, both regard to the Eucharist and the Resurrection. I, uh, I delivered to you what I first received. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that these the, the tradition of that is the faith and the practice of the faith had already come to him and had been delivered to them, and that's what they were established in yeah it, when you first started talking on on this line, I was thinking of a, a really only a slightly different line from what uh-huh. you said and that as is as a Lutheran and I think it would have been in my case and it would have been very much true for you as a Presbyterian the tendency is often to look at the scriptures as a source for doctrine yeah and so if you're rummaging around. First Corinthians for a set of doctrines, you might, in fact, get frustrated uh, by comparison, say, with Romans, where at least in the first uh, several chapters you find a lot of doctrines. Although I think sometimes as Protestants we forgot that uh, that there were eight more chapters in Romans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Uh, but but it, again, it, it's really not doctrine that he's spinning out, but um, but life in the church.
0: Yes. Yeah, and
1: that this book is all about, and, and, and just brilliantly so, and from so many rich angles.
0: When I th- studied this in seminary, my particular professor, who wrote a commentary on First Cor- Corinthians, uh, uh, Gordon, Doctor Gordon Fee, was a um, a Pentecostal, mm-hmm. and so of course he loved First Corinthians, and mm-hmm. and often the big emphasis was. On First Corinthians twelve and sure. thirteen, and and all of that fourteen, fifteen, mm-hmm. yeah. the gifts in the church, and and often when people think about Corinthians, that's what they think about mm-hmm. or the love chapter, chapter thirteen, mm-hmm. or or maybe chapter three about wood hay and stubble, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the issue of the judgment. But as you said, uh, he's dealing with with would you would you say it's easy to say that what he's doing is how you live out your sacramental life in the community.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think even as you were uh, talking about the, the professor that you studied yep. with, uh, you know, I, one of the selections I printed out was 12, 4 to 7. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit, the same Lord, different workings, but the same God produces all of them in everyone. To each of ind- individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for some benefit, and of course the benefit is to the community, so that the the manifestations of the Spirit are for the sustenance of the life of the Church, which is already assumed by Paul. Mm-hmm.
0: So but with this big collection, Father Klein, let's, where would you like to begin, then, uh, to dig a little deeper?
1: Well, we had talked about, right, uh, five, six, and seven. All right. Term- yeah, I don't believe you read them yet, right?
0: I read them f- before right. the break. Let me—I re- can read them again because it's read them probably once good. More, yeah, yeah. Your boasting is not appropriate. Do not—do you not know that a little yeast leavens all the dough? Clear out the old yeast so that you may become a fresh batch of dough, inasmuch as you are unleavened. For our Paschal Lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed.
1: Okay. Well, the most obvious reason I wanted to start with that one, even though I ended up diverting quickly, uh, is. The Paschal reference—it's mm-hmm. a wonderful uh, verse, a uh, couple of verses for us to hear in this week. And uh, some of your readers might uh, realize this was the epistle in the uh, in yep. the older form of the Mass mm-hmm. uh, for Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a Lutheran, it was therefore also the epistle for me growing up. And I remember as as a youngster, and then even into college, maybe even into seminary. Not quite getting why this was chosen. And of course, I don't think I had a strong sense of the Paschal Mystery at the time. But, uh, that uh, what we celebrate is indeed the Passover of, of Christ from, from death to life, and that His sacrifice and His resurrection are, are uh, embodied, shall we say, in the in, in the Eucharist. I mean. mm-hmm. The yeast and the dough—I mean, you can't miss it. Really, this is, uh, I think, very eucharistic in its context. And as you were indicating earlier, Marcus, it 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 assumes, uh, yeah. it assumes a people who are practicing, at the very least, the weekly celebration of the Eucharist. And, and of course, hanging over this, at least, is suggestion of Eucharistic sacrifice
0: which um, especially you know Martin Luther uh, uh, you know was very res- reticent right mm-hmm. yes to allow that continual understanding mm-hmm. of, of the Eucharist and uh, did do you think as a as a more modern Lutheran that there was a more openness to that or had you stuck pretty tight to Luther's
1: there It's a funny thing within in contemporary Lutheranism. uh, When Eucharistic prayers began to be introduced with the service book and hymnal of 1958, and then with the Lutheran Book of Worship of 1978, they were very careful to avoid any any overtly sacrificial language, Mm -hmm. and and even that uh, was not enough for some theologians who felt that any any prayer of thanksgiving act of, of Eucharistic sacrifice and therefore of, of works. But but I think uh, certainly what I, over a long period of time, even before becoming Catholic, came to understand is that uh, if you're going to be united with Christ, and uh, Lutherans were quite clear about the real presence, if you're going to be united with Christ, that is unity with his sacrifice. And, uh, and of course if, if we understand how how all of this rises from from the jewish passover what happens in the passover Well, by eating a meal and recalling what happened at the time of the exodus it becomes present real and new for you in this generation every jew is to think as if he himself had been brought out of Egypt
0: the um, uh, you know this again this the, the idea of a sacrifice implies that the the gathering to do the Lord's Supper is a, is more than just what the memory of it does to us it might mm-hmm. encourage us might us feel good remember what sure. Christ did for us but that there literally is uh, the the passing of grace that changes us it's yeah. a powerful transition in. And any aspect of sacramental theology believes that that's happening versus just information, right? That's passed. Right. And uh, yeah, I was thinking about the the next passage. It, um, in fact, we're going to take a break and come back. And I thought maybe, if you'd like, the the First Corinthians 7, 13 through fourteen passage which you chose mm-hmm. deals with the the relationship between. If let's say a woman who's a believer is married to mm-hmm. an unbeliever, a man mm-hmm. is married to an unbeliever, well, he talks about this this uh, interesting thing that the unbelieving husband is made holy mm-hmm. through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy through the the brother. When we come back from the break. I'd like you to talk about that because you know something's happening here. Sure, sure. That's not merely intellectual influence but there's something being changed. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that on the other side of the break. Very good. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I am joined today by Father Leonard Klein, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com.
2: Written by Carl Adam. Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110.
0: Welcome back to Deep in Scripture, this is your host Marcus Grody. Today our guest on Deep in Scripture is Father Leonard Klein. I do want to remind you that next week on The Journey Home, our guest will be the Dr. Brennan Purcell. He is a, a history professor. Um, uh, and uh, you'll want to hear this program, a very powerful conversion uh, that actually took place uh, not long after he was attending Harvard College, Harvard University, excuse me, but he was on retreat at a a monastery in Germany, and it was during that that he had a, a real awakening to the fullness of the faith. So that's Next time on The Journey Home, Monday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. All right, Father Klein. Yes. Um, and you've got a big collection, and I, I didn't want to take you away from the 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 path that you wanted to take through these verses, but that particular passage mm-hmm. in First Corinthians 7, um, I, I, I remember as a Protestant minister not really knowing what he meant.
1: Yeah, well, it certainly does make us scratch our heads a little bit. Uh... Um, but, of course, as we were speaking of in, in speaking of the Eucharist, um, mm-hmm. uh, there is a participation a koinonia, that takes place in in the life of faith and um, what Paul seems to be telling us in in these verses of chapter seven, with lines like "The unbelieving husband is made through, holy through his wife," is that um, that intimate contact that is marriage. Mm-hmm brings a person closer to Christ in some way even if the person is not explicitly a believer or or is in this case explicitly an unbeliever. Uh, and and I think what Paul is doing here is is looking at the realities of the people in the congregation and of course he's dealing here with the question of should you stay with an unbelieving spouse? And his advice uh, is overwhelmingly that if you can by all means you should because some good is coming of it. There is a kind of uh, a sacramental a contact with grace uh, uh, going on in in marriage to, to a believing person. We,
0: we believe that to be true if we believe that marriage as a sacrament to become one. Mm-hmm. And that, therefore, we're not just one because we agree to be one. We're not just one because mm-hmm. we hopefully get our minds on the same page. But that literally, in the same sense that you, Father Klein, and I... Are truly brothers in the body of Christ mm-hmm. not just we just join the same club and we know the same handshake but that we really are brothers in the body of Christ and brothers with Jesus our Lord and brother with our mother Mary that that's that's very real but that a husband and a wife then share that a unique sense of grace so that we would believe that a devout a grace-filled woman would have a, a graced effect on her husband.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, and and I, I think of course the other thing that this drives home so so forcefully is the degree to which First Corinthians is about an embodied Christian life. Remember what the heresy at Corinth was. Yeah, the heresy yep. at Corinth was that. Uh, some believed that having been baptized, we'd sort of passed into a into a spiritual cyberspace where nothing we did in the body meant anything anymore. Uh, It it was certainly a uh, proto-Gnosticism, a heresy that came to fuller development uh, a century or so later, Uh, and and against this heresy, which in so many ways is the heresy of, of the modern world, you know, as long as yep. you have the right set of ideas, the right dispositions, the right feelings in your heart, nothing you actually do matters. Um, uh, I mean, we talked before about uh, about my work as pro-life director. What is the, you know, you know what is the great sort of principle of the uh, of the anti-life, of the pro-abortion movement? It is that uh, it's not really a human being unless it's wanted. Mm-hmm. So against all yep. of this. Uh, uh, refusal to to deal with uh, what we are as, as human creatures of God uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians just hits one theme after another yeah. Yeah, marriage matters, the Eucharist matters, baptism matters the unity of the Church matters
0: uh, you, in fact you talk about it matter, matter. matters yeah you, yeah and uh, you know you you reference that first Corinthians 11 23, 28 passage mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to read that in a second but sure. uh, um, the first part of it is the familiar words of consecration mm-hmm. uh, that not not only Catholics use but that's the words I use as a Presbyterian and you sure. use as a Lutheran but it's interesting that uh, verse 26 and 28. I didn't use uh, when I uh, read the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those say after after Paul uh, repeats what he had received from the Lord uh, and handed on mm-hmm. and, and the familiar words of consecration, he says in verse 26, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily, will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. How did you deal with those as a Lutheran pastor?
1: It was interesting. within In the uh, Lutheran tradition, those got some pretty heavy weight, actually, and uh, were generally... Uh, Liturgically enacted by some rite of confession of sins.
0: Okay, right, prior right to That's receiving right. Uh, I remember that, of course. And
1: and that's so. That's how that was dealt with, and it's certainly not not incorrect. Um, but of course, um, there's a little something else going on here too, and that again is the the way in which it directs our attention back to the church. Uh, we need to remember that the discussion of the Eucharist in First Corinthians comes in, of all things, the context of, of sacrifices offered to idols, yeah. e- eating okay. meat in those, uh, mm-hmm. um, to, of course to participate in the sacrifices, to participate in the God uh, that the worshipped in the sacrifice. And so um, Paul has to kind of sort this problem out for the Corinthians. And the, the part of the problem he was dealing with it was, was the divisiveness. Uh, the people who thought themselves spiritually advanced said, well, I can eat meat offered to an idol because i know it's not real mm-hmm. and doesn't matter if it hurts my brother or if my brother is deceived or thinks that maybe idols aren't so bad after all uh, so when paul comes back and calls upon them to discern the body he means A part the body of the church
0: yeah oh, that
1: you yeah. may be dividing by your your casual participation in pagan rites yeah
0: verse 29 which we we stopped the the quote mm. of the verse at twenty eight, but twenty nine goes on. It just says you were quoting for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, mm-hmm. eats and drinks judgment right. Upon very sharp words. Yeah, and but I remember when I was a Presbyterian, I didn't you know in any way stress a real presence. I mm-hmm. I believe in a, more of a Calvinist perspective that there was a unique way in which Jesus was. Was, was near us in this, right. but I didn't believe that there was any change whatsoever in the elements. Um, but it was still always puzzling to me that, again, if you eat it, and what difference does it make if it's merely a symbol?
1: That's right. That's right. Then you, what is it that you could actually violate? Yeah, you would be violating the, the abstract principle of unity. But that's not what Paul says. Right. He says you're you're violating the body and blood of the Lord don't perceive it by the way another uh, piece in that section marcus is the uh uh, is, is verse 26 as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the death of the lord until he comes just note how proclamation and the sacramental act are tied together yes so so beautifully there so it teaching and evangelization cannot be separated from from the liturgical life and the sacramental
0: life. Yeah, I wish I wish I had. I didn't bring the the Greek New Testament with me to check on something. But it's interesting that Paul did not say, "For as often as you have a meal."
1: No, no, um, it's eat this bread and drink this. Yeah,
0: it's this, mm-hmm. and it's the in the context of the focused on this consecrated uh, sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, when you do this, not just every time you gather, and you know, no, it's this. Uh, and a big emphasis on that is pointing to the paschal mystery. Um, and again, I don't know that I did justice to that back when I was sure, a Presbyterian sure. pastor. I think maybe as Lutheran you might have done a little better. Cause,
1: Perhaps, yeah, a little bit more, I should think, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because Luther uh, really emphasizes. Now, you've, you've talked about the body. The Eucharist and the body of the church. I want to back up a little bit because another verse that you had emphasized was First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there again we have this unique emphasis on the body, but now we're talking about our- ourselves.
1: Right, right. Um, yes, and, and and I think that you know, that is true, and, and obviously I think Protestants have done pretty good justice on the. For the most part, on the sense of the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but again, where um, where First Corinthians might enrich that some
3: is is
1: with the ecclesial dimension. It's my body as a body that has been baptized.
0: Yeah, I don't. Again, I don't know that I could have done anything with that back when I was a Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I mean, we certainly believed that you became a member mm-hmm. through joining the church in the new members class. You were a member of that, and then you went before everyone and everybody welcomed you into the church, but there was no sacramental change, union. It was more of an agreement. We said mm-hmm. the same creed. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of a temple, We I guess yeah. we always thought about, well, the, the Holy Spirit's come to dwell within me, and, and my body is the... Is the, is right,
1: it? and it's, it's, the action of the Spirit is sort of somewhat remote from, from life in the Church, but again, again we would see that our, our bodies are, are baptized bodies, and of course even uh, more dramatically, in the Catholic understanding, we receive the body and blood of Christ into these bodies. And once that's established and clear, then the uh, temple of the Holy Spirit takes mm-hmm. on some pretty clear meaning.
0: Yeah, he, um, in, in chapter 5, he talks about, as you mentioned, this immorality mm-hmm. that uh, apparently the, the Corinthians had had learned to live with, mm-hmm. learned to accept. Um, 1 Corinthians five 5.1, uh, Paul says, It is widely reported that there is immorality among you, An immorality of a kind not found even among pagans, a man living with his father's wife. Now, um, you're the pastor of a, you were the pastor of a congregation. You're helping out at a a parish now. Um, You know, sometimes it's hard to confront the powerful Mm -hmm. when they're not living faithfully. You sure. know what I mean? I no, mean, oh, so, sure. Sometimes even today, right? I mean,
1: yeah, and sometimes it's hard to confront the uh, the weak and the frail, <laughs> you know, because people are afraid to to harm them. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, you don't want to embarrass them. Uh, you don't want to mess up your your foursome at the golf. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at the golf club. So pretty soon, you start to accept lifestyles, values. Uh, you let it go unsaid. Mm-hmm. And and that's a little bit of what was probably happening here at, at Corinth.
1: Yes, and and again fueled with a kind of denial denial of the sacramentality of the church and the body. You know, that was the Corinthian heresy, and of course, uh, tragically, yeah. we now see a version of that widespread in mainline Protestantism. That, that you know, once once the church. Once the concept that matter matters is gone, Christianity becomes a disembodied, desacramentalized spirituality, which that's really what happened first. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, well, then there's absolutely no way to, to make sense of any traditional sexual morality.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the audacity of, of Paul to tell them how they ought to live their lives. Sure, sure. Uh, it, it, beneath that carries, is the authority of the Church. Mm-hmm. Paul, in a different place, writing to these different folk about how they ought to live out their Christian faith. And there it just talks about the authority yeah. of, and, and, of the Church.
1: And the authority of the Church, of course, for Paul, is also the authority of the Old Testament in these matters. Mm-hmm. Quite some years ago, I read a book that I still own about uh, Paul's advice on some of the specifically disputed moral questions in 1 Corinthians. Apparently, they can be tracked uh, through the rabbinic tradition uh, with great clarity, Uh, and and so uh, again, part of what uh, I think actually part of what Paul is is struggling Hmm. for is is maintaining the authority of the Old Testament. Yeah. Well, Uh, and of course, that's again at great uh, great dispute in in much of uh, the Christian
0: world today. Oh yeah. Well, in uh, just to bounce off of that for a moment. His letter to Timothy, which basically he's helping the young bishop, mm-hmm. uh, you know, giving him courage and strength sure. to do. And he says in First Corinthians, uh, First, you know, Second Timothy three, um, that um, in verse fifteen, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith sure. in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I mean, Father, there he's talking about the Old Testament. Right, that's
1: the only Scripture they had at the point. Mm-hmm.
0: Which, you were a Lutheran, and so you would have been strong on Sola Scriptura. Sure. Uh, your founder is the one that defined it. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you have, as a Lutheran, have accepted the idea that the Old Testament on its own was sufficient
1: mm-hmm. yeah I, I think um, I think all sorts of christians have have to catch their breath when they hear that, but of course it was true for the uh, for the early Christians the, the Old Testament was scripture and and then the uh, then the Gospel of the resurrection was proclaimed with that as its foundation. Actually Luther somewhere says uh, something to the effect that the uh, the Old Testament is Scripture, the New Testament is preaching. I I don't think we often perceive how radically true uh, that is.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, and of course, it's very hard for Protestants to to deal with the fact that what that means is that what we have in the New Testament is a living tradition.
0: Yeah, I've often, like 1 Corinthians is a great example, that it's possible that if they weren't having this great scandal at Corinth, paul may not have been motivated to write them a letter
3: mm-hmm.
0: we wouldn't have had first corinthians mm-hmm. in the new testament if it hadn't been for a problem at corinth mm-hmm. uh, not to give them new information but to apply to them the information they should have known right to
3: call
1: them back to where they they were supposed to be again that's why those two uh, formulaic passages uh for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you in the case of the resurrection and then in case of the Eucharist I passed on what I received, they're so very important because they remind us uh, that that they had strayed from a tradition in which they had been founded.
0: Father, let's take one more break. When we okay. come back uh, with the time that we have left, what I'd like you to do is, okay, in a, kind of an overview of all these passages. Mm-hmm. Talk to the audience about the significance of, of what you've been saying in terms of the sacramentality and the difference that should make in our lives as we seek to live out the resurrection that we've just celebrated uh, on Easter Sunday. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Groda I'm joined today by Father Leonard Klein and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network.
2: dot org or contact us at one 664 5110
0: Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host Marcus Grode. I joined today by Father Leonard Klein. We've been looking at a selection of verses from the First Letter of uh, to Paul to the Corinthians and. I mean, it's hard to just do the whole letter in, in a small amount. In fact, I even I up looking at some of the verses you'd chosen, Father, that one of them we didn't talk about was 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And what I love about that little one is uh, verse 2, he demonstrates that already there is an assumption mm-hmm. that uh, Sunday, the first day of the week, has become the day they gather for liturgy.
1: That's right, right. First day of the week, each of you should set aside something. Yep. Lay it in for the collection of the saints. I chose that verse, of course, in part, because uh, here in his final chapter, he's calling them to a, to a moral and religious act of devotion for the poor saints back in Jerusalem, uh, to whom they owe so much in the one body of Christ, that's mm-hmm. the church.
0: And in, in fact, he calls it for the holy ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's seeing them live out their faith in the midst of suffering, uh, which you know is the seedbed for holiness, even in our own lives. Uh, kind of as an overview, then, Father, all these passages. What would you like to say to our audience and the difference that seeing the sacramentality should make in our walk with Christ?
1: Well, I, I think I want to go back to that little two-word slogan I threw in quite a while back: uh-huh. is that matter matters, and and I think sacramental life of the Church, uh, that is assumed, that that God, who has made us from the dust of the earth, uh, comes to us um, through the sacramental life and brings us into closer touch with Him, first of all, of course, to the actual sacraments, but then through all those things we call sacramentals in the Catholic Church, the the visual signs, the, the tactile signs, the the sensory, uh, the, the incense, uh, all of this is is part of the way in which God's grace uh, surrounds us and, and lifts us closer to Him. Uh, on on Sunday in my, my homily for Easter Sunday, I actually focused on the uh, the one option for the second lesson from Colossians, in which Paul calls upon us to, you know, if we've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. And, and the point i made was that when, when uh, paul says that he's not asking us to kind of try to move out of our human life but within our human life to seek the things of god the things that are good to seek holiness to seek faithfulness uh, to seek the good of the other and then to seek uh, specifically mentioned to, to seek to think clearly enough to be devout catholics mm-hmm. in this time when the church is once again under siege
0: You know, Father, your emphasis on this has actually been significant to me. Uh, One thing I've noticed, I've been a Catholic for 17 years, and, and there are certain aspects of the transition from Protestant beliefs and doctrine and practices switching into Catholic doctrine, belief, and practices that were fairly obvious because they're outlined in the catechism, they're outlined in the creeds and such. But I've noticed over the years that sometimes I I get caught I find myself caught on bringing with me ideas that were very Protestant, but I I didn't notice them, mm-hmm. and I brought them with me along into my Catholic. And then later I get I, I'm I'm pushed up against a wall and realize I'm still thinking like I used to, and and this has happened to me in this program. And I'd love your thought on this because. When I was a Protestant, and I still teach this, I, I talk about when we stand before Jesus someday, mm-hmm. that he's going to look at our heart and how, you, you know, what, what's going on in our heart and how we treat others. Mm-hmm. And as I think about what you've directed our attention to, I think I'm realizing to a certain extent that that's still a little bit of Gnosticism, isn't it?
1: Well, I guess potentially, obviously, within the whole biblical tradition, and certainly within Traditions of Catholic spirituality, uh, interiority, uh, and, and the interior disposition of the heart and the will and the intellect is, is of course, of great, yes, great importance. Um, but certainly within the Catholic tradition, that never becomes split off. Mm-hmm.
0: Protestant worship, I, I, sometimes you know that all that matters is what's going on in our head or in mm-hmm. our heart and what we do with our bodies.
1: Yeah, that's right, and it, it's often one or the other depending on the, yeah. on the form of Protestantism.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it can, it can go to the other extreme. It often as a reaction against that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we Presbyterians were called the frozen chosen. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so you get this reaction to, in the more Pentecostal way where it's almost what you do with your bodies is more important about what's going on in your head. Uh, mm-hmm. But really what you're in the sacramentality of, of the Catholic is that they're both true
1: right, that's right and, and what the external means of grace obviously touch and move us in our deepest interiority
0: yeah, and now as Catholics, and now you're serving as an assistant pastor, so, I mean, you're working in the parish all the time. I mean, one of the problems with Catholics is that we can get caught up in the externals, right? Right. As if that's all
1: Be kind important. of serene presumption. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm punching my ticket and doing the right thing.
0: <laughs> that's right. So we have to call for an, an, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a new heart, Sure. as sure. David was uh, praying for in, in Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, which, is it true, every Sunday as Lutherans we we recited Psalm 51? Well,
1: that, that was, yeah, that was one of the options for an offertory chant. Yeah, create me a clean heart, O God.
0: Yeah, I, I grew up, and I think in many ways that influenced my idea that, you know, that's it. It's about a new heart, a new mm-hmm. mind, which is true.
1: It is absolutely true. But, but it's not the whole truth.
0: It's not the whole truth, not the whole truth. It
1: simply cannot be separated again from the body, the sacraments, the church, and, and, of course, the
0: hope of resurrection. So our need, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, is to discern the body mm-hmm. um, and, and recognize the unity that we have one another as husband and wife, as members of the temple of God, uh, the way we take care of one another, even in distant churches. We're all one church. You know, all that's brought on that that 1 Corinthians uh, and, and passage. And, and maybe one last thing, 1 Corinthians 13, it's all mm-hmm. about love, right? But mm-hmm. I, I don't think any of my Protestant experience emphasized the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, as strongly as our Catholic right. faith mm-hmm.
1: does. That's right. And and again, uh, we have to read this within the context of the whole book, of the, of the really fierce struggle that, that Paul is conducting against uh, a denial of, of uh, Mm-hmm. Of the importance of what we do in the body, so when he speaks faith, hope, and love, and then says the greatest of these is love, he is talking about how you treat the neighbor in the body of Christ. It's it's not a generic, uh, it's not romantic, <laughs> it's you know, it, it's it's not a generic uh, be loving. It is about how to live within the body of Christ.
0: Father, as we close uh, our program, I wonder if I could have a, a, ask you to. Uh, offer a blessing and a prayer for our our listening audience, uh, especially during this week after Easter Sunday. Some of them are Catholics and they're still celebrating Easter. Others are in traditions where they kind of left it behind at Easter Sunday. But but maybe a prayer and a blessing for us all to, to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ and His Church.
1: Lord God, by the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, you have won eternal life for your people on earth consecrate us to you and assist us in all ways to live more fully as your children or deeply as members of your body which is the church. And may Almighty God bless you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All
0: right. Well, thank you, Father Klein, for joining us today. In your, Good your, to be with you. And your reflections on First Corinthians. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always one that strongly encourages Catholics to get their Bibles and open it up and read a book like First Corinthians all the way from cover to cover at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little longer than some of the books, but, uh, you know, in Mass, we hear it read, but often it's in snippets all over yeah, the place. Yeah. And sometimes hard to get the full context. So thank you for your words and uh, joining us on the program, Father.
1: Well, it was good to be with you.
0: All right. Thank you, Father. And all of you, thank you for joining us on this program. I want to remind you just of a few things. Uh, again, this is a, a weekly program, but it's rebroadcast and uh, in the evening. I also want to also remind you on the website, deepinscripture.com, uh, there's a lot of things there that are for your benefit, including the archived programs there's a scripture forum if you want to get into discussions with others. Let's say you want to. You heard today's program and you've got some questions, some challenges, well you can you can get on the forum and talk with others. Uh, you can also see the program as I mentioned, but you can also link to uh, the regular website chnetwork.org where you'll find out more about the work of the Coming Home Network. Uh, we do offer resources. The point of our entire ministry is to respond to the call of Christ to seek unity. Uh, We try to help those that love Christ, but are not a part of the church. We try to help them come home to the fullness, the fullness of the sacramentality that Father Klein talked about, Uh, not just part, but all that Christ wants to give you. And so please join us and our website, find out more and God bless you. Look forward to being with you next week.